Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. Please join us on Wednesday, March 8th to celebrate International Women's Day at the third annual Empowerography Live Women's Online Conference. The event will be running from 9.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will have 31 of the most incredibly inspirational, transformative, and influential women around who will be speaking at the conference. You can pick up tickets on my website at www.empowerographypodcast.com. They're on sale now for only $20 Canadian. That's $15 for our U.S. friends. We hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Jeannie Doherty. She is a certified money coach, a mental fitness guide, and a retirement readiness expert. How are you doing, Jeannie? I'm doing well. How about you, Brad? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today and share a little bit about your story and your journey. I'm looking forward to jumping in and learning more about who you are and what you do and sharing your story with the audience. Yes, me too. So Jeannie, as I mentioned, you're a certified money coach, a mental fitness guide, a retirement readiness expert. How long have you been a certified money coach? I have been a certified money coach since 2021, Uh, but I've been money coaching prior to that. Oh, okay. Okay. So now I'm going to assume here, because this is typically or usually the way it works in conversations that I've had with people and with a lot of people who become coaches that they they themselves have struggled with that particular issue or issues that they have done the work with, which then propels them into coaching in that particular area or that particular field. So with that being said, and I'm hoping you confirm my assumption because you know what they say about people who assume, why did you decide to focus your energy and business on money coaching? Did this journey begin for you with some of your own personal struggles around money and money mindset? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say I became the coach that I wanted 10 years prior. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the short answer. Yes. Okay. I started out on my journey on a completely different path. I am also a trained mental health and substance abuse counselor here in the United States. And so when I first started my counseling practice, I was in Arizona and I was dealing with people who were anxious and depressed and had PTSD and all kinds of trauma and substance abuse and sometimes gambling. And, you know, you have a different framework, you know, when you work with somebody as a counselor, but every single one of them had money problems. Didn't matter if they were wealthy, they still had money problems. And so I spent more of my time getting to understand like, you know, what I would call the survival things. Like what, what's triggering your anxiety and your depression and your trauma to find out it was really simple things. Like, I don't know how to pay my rent. I don't know how to tell, you know, my spouse about, you know, we lost money on a deal. Like if they owned a business, they don't know how to deal with family members who were taking from them. They don't have any type of financial boundaries. So I worked on that for like 10 years. Like I, you know, was just a counselor and I never thought of it as a skill. I just thought it was just a piece of, of the healing process that my clients all went through. And then I moved cross country to the Washington DC area, which is where I'm at now. And I suddenly started experiencing workplace harassment as a counselor. 
it was a radically different experience than what I had sort of learned and grown up in. Out West, it was very female-centered, very much empowered. And when I came out East, it was like the old boys club. And I'll never forget one day I was at work just as a little counselor, little old me, <laughs> and the men would walk in, it would be four of them, and they would just berate you in front of everybody. And no matter what you said or how, what you would try to say, or I didn't know we needed to do this or what was going on with this, didn't matter, you were wrong. And so I had learned to kind of toughen up, knowing I was going to plan my way out eventually. And I just was like, whatever, you know, like, okay. And, and I just learned to stay silent. If you're silent, then the abuse stops. So uh, I'll never forget, I had a colleague who was female and she was brand new and she was uh, actually older than me. She had kids and she had all kinds of stuff going on in her, in her world. And I'll never forget, she turned to me, she goes, I cannot believe the way they treated you. And I just looked at her, I said, this is normal here. I said, yeah, I don't like it either. I'm not gonna stay. Mm -hmm. And she's just like, oh, you know, like, wow. So she and I kind of became a little, you know, a little friendly, you know, a professional group just trying to endure a lot of stuff because they did the exact same things to her that they did wow. to me. Because that's the whole point of a toxic work culture. Why would you just be toxic with one person when you can be toxic with yeah, everybody? Yeah, exactly. But here's the thing. We were in the midst of a recession. And basically one night I came home crying because I had found out something absolutely horrible, which I won't say because... You know, y'all need to sleep at night safely. <laughs> and because it was really bad. I mean, I just was like, I can't believe I'm expected to work with somebody and this is what's going on in their personal life. I just was like, this is enough. And so I decided I'm going to strike out on my own and become my own private practice, you know, counselor. That's what I'm going to do. And as soon as I said that, all of a sudden I had enormous amount of power and control. I had enormous respect from everybody there. Like they admired that I was going to go do this in the midst of a recession. Like it was, it was one of the weirdest flips I've ever seen from a professional perspective. But the truth is I was terrified. I decided to do it differently than the insurance programs out here. I worked more what we call employee assistance programs. And so those are federally mandated. So they're just different. And so I did that and did a private practice and it was not like red hot awesome. It just wasn't. But when I talked to my colleagues, you know, who were taking insurance and doing what I call the traditional route, they weren't making any money either. And I was like, why not? You know, you, they're like, oh no, I'm busy. They said, you know, but like their clients weren't paying them. And I was like, wow. Right. So how do you run a business when an insurance company says they will not pay you thousands of dollars for seeing all their clients because they don't like the way you did a prior authorization. It was just like, you know, that's the norm for a lot of people. Unfortunately, if you don't do the paperwork exactly correctly, the way they want it, then they're going to not pay you and there's nothing right. you can do about it. So I was smart enough to think outside of the box, but I didn't have any idea on how to run a business. And that's really when my money story dramatically shifted. It's because prior to that, as a, an employee, I did fine. You know, I had money. I didn't, I didn't have really money problems. You know, I saved, you know, I, you know, I did whatever I needed to do with my money. But at the time, you know, it was a real challenge explaining to my family of like, well, I'm not going to take a steady job that was low pay. I'm going to actually really just jump ship and go do this other thing. Yeah. Will you support me? And the answer is it was intermittent support. That's the best way I can describe it emotionally and financially. But long story short is I did finally figure out how to run a business outside of the norm. And I wouldn't say I was like super financially successful, but I was better off than my colleagues. 
And so that was good, but it still caused a lot of strain in my family. And then what I found out was that my mother had gotten very sick and she had a terminal illness. It was Alzheimer's and she did eventually pass away. So here it is, I'm trying to launch and then a disaster comes and it's a disaster that you can't avoid. There's really no way to fix it. You just kind of have to ride it out. And one of the things that was very clear to me was that I could tell that my mother was more sickly than I had hoped. There were certainly some questions with, because she had a caretaker who was not actually providing the care. And this is my opinion, but I firmly believe they delayed diagnosis, meaning they let the person, my mother, kind of go make financial decisions and make legal decisions when they probably weren't competent. Wow. And yeah. So that's pretty scary. So long story short, she did pass away. And then everyone was like, well, I'm surprised that she passed away because she passed away in like a year and a half after the diagnosis. Uh And most people don't die at 74 of Alzheimer's, uh, you know, because of the, you know, within a year and a half, most people don't. It takes a few years if you've had Alzheimer's, if it's early onset. But I think my mother probably had the symptoms probably about five years earlier. And they delayed it and delayed it and delayed it. Now, mind you, when I was on the phone, because she was in another state uh, here in the U.S., I called and she didn't sound right. And I would try talking to the caretaker, talk to other family members. We all kind of had the same thing. But, you know, it wasn't there wasn't much we could do because we weren't the ones in control of the situation. My mother was at the time. And, And what I learned later is that she ended up lying for a lot of the caretaker not because she was trying to make it easier for them. They would just simply tell us, oh, just tell them I already did that. Or just tell them you already did that. And so she'd go, oh, yeah, all the, all the bills are taken care of. No, they weren't. Wow. So she didn't know. So she would lie to us, but not because she was being mean and vengeful. So there was a lot to process when she died. And we went to court. We lost. I mean, there was nothing we could do. Like I said, it's like a storm sometimes. You cannot avoid. Yeah. You will have to go through. And it was a storm actually created by my mother, not, you know, and her choices. And, And a lot of other family members who got involved and did some other things, too. But... There was no way for me as sort of her daughter going, well, wait, why would we do it this way? Or why is this happening? Like none of those questions were thought of, let alone answered. So it really got me very clued into what's known as financial exploitation. And I learned even more about this with my clients who were actually experiencing this with their siblings or possibly with a parent or something like that, that they were getting concerned, where is the money going if it's not going to the care, which then led me to retirement readiness. I ended up running a support group for retirees or soon to be retirees in the federal government. So you could be 45, 50 and you could learn all about the things you're gonna need to know to retire. And it's not just the money. They actually have programs that people can sign up and learn exactly down to the dollar amounts of what you're gonna make and you know what's this gonna look like in terms of your pension, which is all very helpful. But retirement readiness was created because they had so much anxiety. What am I gonna do if I don't come up, wake up every day and go to work? Yeah. What do I wanna do if my spouse doesn't wanna retire? What do I want to do if I want to move? And it's, I don't want it to be Florida. You know, I mean, what am yeah. I going to do with my health? I have everything covered right now. Should I get my heart surgery done now? Or should I wait till I retire? 
And so we'd have all these like in-depth conversations about really making health and lifestyle choices. And the news flash to me was, it is your health that actually determines your retirement readiness, not your cash, never your assets. And my mother was a great example of that. She had a million dollar estate. It was completely liquidated before she died. Holy shit. Yeah. And it's because people took advantage of her and she wasn't well enough to know the difference. Horrible. I mean, that that constantly goes on in today's day and age with elderly people and people taking advantage. I mean, look at all the scams out there and they're always predominantly geared towards the elderly. And it's horrible that people prey on the elderly. It's it's absolutely and downright disgusting. Mm hmm. But it is a fact of life. Yeah. People have no problem taking money if you're a little old lady of 90 on a very small pension or what, whatever it is that you're living in. It may be a tiny little house that probably needs a lot of work, but you can survive in it. Yeah. They have no problem with that. And they have no problem taking money from family members because they think they deserve it. Whew. It's crazy. So, you know, it's, it's like learning to know your boundaries and stay away from people who their sentence in life is it's about me and it will always be about me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. Yeah. So that kind of led me to a really raw and very deep introspective place of seeing things crumble that actually weren't that secure to begin with and then rebuilding, you know, like emotionally rebuilding myself in my own business was something that took me about a year. And yeah. then when I found out about money coaching, because as I tell people, I know this is surprising because it's audio, but I'm actually a dancer. And I started dancing as an adult, like not as a kid. Like I'm one of those rare people. I decided to, I was like, well, I'm not dead, so I might as well go learn how to dance. <laughs> and so I did. And Good so, for you. Yeah. And so I learned how to do group dance classes with other adults who some actually had, as you could, you could tell, they had great dance training and other people were just, you know, happily moving along, doing whatever they could do with their bodies. So I danced in what we call community, just dancing along. And it's, it's called Five Rhythms. And mm-hmm. it is in Canada. Oh, um, okay. Toronto, for sure. Yep. I don't know about British Columbia, but mm-hmm. I know in Toronto, I think they might have had a group one time in Calgary. So, Very yeah. Cool. yeah, I don't know what it looks like now post pandemic, but I know prior they definitely had what they call tribes or communities. That's really cool. Yeah. So anybody can join. You don't have to be that great of a dancer or, <laughs> or, or anything like that, but you can just go and join. Awesome. And so when I walked into my dance class, there was a, like a flyer and says, oh yeah, in two and a half months, there's going to be like a dance uh, workshop on dance and money two and a half hours away for four days. And I was like, I got to go to that. I got to figure <laughs> that out. I got to go. And it was actually taught again by hybrid, a dance teacher and money coach. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow. So I signed up for the full year and I you know, was money coached and it was really life shifting. Like, oh, is this is what's driving the pain? Is this what's driving my lack? Is this what's driving the constant disagreements, you know, that I see that my clients get in? Is this what's driving my need to control? Is this what's driving my need to, you know, oh, forget it. I'll just go do it myself, you know, which is, you know, like I'm giving up on what could possibly be like a possible support system and go run and go do it yourself. And it was like, oh, 
so it was the end of 2019 and I was like, I'm going to become a money coach. And then the pandemic hit and I thought, mm, maybe not in 2020. I was like, maybe not this year. This is not the year to go into that direction. But 2021 came around and I was like, it's now or never. I got to do it. I've got to do this. So I agreed to do this and it was really intense. It was even harder to become a coach, to like study. And I was so grateful because I studied with the, the pioneer of what we call emotional and behavioral money coaching, which is Deborah Price. And there's three different kinds of money coaches. There's what I call the million dollar ones. Sometimes they're called success or optimization coaches, but they're like, I'm going to show you how to make a million dollars, Brad. We're going to do this in real estate. I'm going to show you how to do it in the stock market. I'm going to show you how to do it in crypto. Or I'm going to show you how to buy boats. I'm going to show you how to buy cars. And all I can say is that it is possible if that's what you want to make a million yeah. dollars and whatever, it will eventually probably happen. But oftentimes the system that people show you, they don't tell you how much debt they got in to do that. So of course it was, you know, they made a million dollars, but they were $900,000. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or worse, 1.5 million in debt. And you're like, Oh, so, you know, that's what happens, unfortunately, to a lot of Instagram influencers. Thank you. Influencers and, you know, other people who have what I would just say really online, you know, super presence, you know, kind of things is that they don't really have a lot of money. And it does happen with a lot of millionaires as well, that all their money is tied up in their debt. So they yeah. made a million dollars, but their net is not anywhere near that. So people don't think that far ahead because they're selling them a dream that they said, you can have this, you can go, you know, live on an island, you can go buy an island, you can go do this, you can go do that. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm sure it's possible if you want to go do that. But I don't know if you want to do that. Like, I just, <laughs> you know, I don't know people, that's their dream. Most people, their dream financially is, I want to be able to, you know, make money, come home, have, you know, you know, the grocery taken care of, you know, I can make meals or the meals are already made for me. I can relax. I can spend more time with my kids or my spouse or with no one, if that's what you really want. And I can just have more time for me. But there is a bit of a mistruth. When you start a new business or a side hustle, it may require more of your attention, at least in the beginning to get really focused and get it off the ground. For sure. Absolutely. And when you do that, that might mean that you're going to have to take time away from your kids and time away from your spouse and it can cause problems, which I believe most people don't think about. They, yeah. They're like, oh, it's only an extra 10 hours a week. Try 25. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay. And that's one of the things I didn't know. I didn't think starting a business was going to require so much time. I thought at most six months. No. It was a good three years of really working it in the local market because that's what you do. You have to really get out and get known and be seen over and over until people know who you are. Because this is another thing I found out as a woman small business owner is that nobody will do business with you in the very beginning because they want to see if you're going to fail. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's harsh. It's a struggle for sure. It's tough getting the business off the ground and it does take time. And that's that's something, a misconception or a myth, I think, that people, a lot of people assume that it's going to be an easy ride and, oh, I get to choose my own hours and I get to do this and I get to do that. And then when they jump in and they realize, oh, shit, this is a hell of a lot more work than I thought, they end up giving up. Exactly. For exactly. sure. 
So most small businesses fail within the first year to five years because it's a time commitment. It can come up against real family conflict. You know, like if you've got a sick child, you know, maybe running a business, you're either going to have to get more help or you're going to just have to, you know, go at a slower pace or do something different. If you've got an issue between you and your spouse, you're trying to have a baby, like, is there an exit plan if the business doesn't work? Can somebody get a job with insurance, you know, here in the U.S.? Or can somebody do something different so that you have a steady income? So I get all that. And, I, and I've and i seen people run what I would call a side hustle business for like, you know, part-time. And then they kind of do some part-time work. And that might be their life for 10 years. And they, they're scared to let go on either end. So they just, you know, eventually their spouse is like, you need to either get a full-time job or drop this to one or the other because we're just we're just in, we're holding space. We're not going forward or backwards. We're just in space, like nothing's changed. And it's scary. And, and this is why I think a lot of people hire business coaches. And I definitely think, you know, a good business coach is very helpful. But the truth is, is that a lot of times what I always saw was that there's specific money skills that people have huge gaps in. And if you can close those money gaps, you're going to be more successful no matter what you do. So whether you keep the business, don't get rid of the business, <laughs> you know, if you decide to move, you know, because you're going to go live someplace else, you're going to need to close those money gaps. And that I think is just not taught in school. And I don't think it's taught really by other life coaches or business coaches, because I've seen people get what I would call pretty solid advice on what to do next. Emotionally, they're never ready. And so the advice just kind of falls on deaf ears. And I'm like, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Could have gone somewhere with that. Could have yeah. done something. So in keeping with the theme I mentioned above around struggles and getting into coaching as a result of how these experiences have helped you become a better coach, how have these experiences helped you become a better coach and better serve your clients? So I realized what was missing for me was something that I was born with, which is what I call my, my winning money power. I have the ability to look at money at any point in my life now and I can see it, not that like necessarily differently, but I can see the value moving differently. So for instance, when I learned how to start my business and I really struggled, I used to beat myself up terribly with that. And I didn't have a lot of empathy for myself. But now looking back at it, I'm like, wow, it was a great training program for me. I learned a lot about having to improve my communication. I understood my sales and marketing so much differently now. Like I can see like, oh, I used to make the same mistake over and over. I won't do that now. And now there's another important piece to what I call my winning money power, which is being able to, where do you want to go with your money? So when I gave the example of somebody who's just kind of holding space, they're not going forward, they're not going backwards, they aren't sure how to move their money forward. So whatever it is in the business per se, they're not sure how to do that uh, to, you know, oh, I really want to see myself do this in the next six months. And here's like a good program or a good path that I'm going to go down. I'm going to try this and really see if it works out. Then I'll know if this strategy works for me. A lot of people won't do that. They won't follow that. Some people aren't very good at what I call exploring. Well, what are my options? So now I have that. I can explore like, oh, well, I could get on Brad's you know, podcast or I can get on that podcast or I can get on this podcast. Who do I want to talk to. And a lot of times people don't do that when they're jumping on podcasts. They're like, would somebody like me to be a guest? And depending on how somebody's starting a podcast, they go, okay, I mean, we'll take anybody. So yeah. You know what I call a lot of randomness, which isn't bad, 
it's just, it may not be the focus that you need in order to go forward. You know, if you were willing to explore and, you know, take some time with your options, like even if it was only for 30 minutes, looking at podcast possibilities for yourself, and also who do you listen to? It might be a very different experience, but people don't always think that way. And podcast hosts don't either. Because I've run into more people that have a podcast on the side and I don't know why they did it, but I'm like, are you trying to do it for lead generation for your business or this is your thing? You love talking to people. It's like everything in between. I go, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> that, I don't know if that's a great money decision because you have to invest your time and your money to do this. Yeah, for sure. And then I would also say that when things go wrong, like money was supposed to show up, you were supposed to get paid and then it doesn't. How do you literally move with what's going in front of you. So if somebody doesn't pay you and you, you've got a bill, where's the money? Where is it? Tell me, tell me where you can find it. And that takes practice because we often think if so-and-so doesn't pay me, I have no money. And that's not true. That's not true. We have money coming in. We have more money coming in, in Europe and North America than uh, in other parts of the world. And yet we drive ourselves on this train of, I don't have any, there's not enough money. I don't have enough in savings. I don't have enough of this. And it's sort of like, well, you know, the best thing you can do is take care of this moment and make sure you've got the money for this. And then you've got to take time to look at where do you want to see your money go? What is the ultimate goal? And it, I, I ask this question often and I don't really hear what I would say great and fantastic answers. Like I don't, I just hear what I call really small stuff. I think I'd like to keep my house if they're paying a mortgage. I want to make sure I've got gas and food, you know, like the, what I've called the basics. I want to, you know, I want to have money for college if they want to send their kids to, to a private school, you know, maybe in another country. That, that makes sense. You know, that, that's good. And then maybe down the road, I'll think about retirement. But that's not really big stuff. That's just part of the human experience. So what I try to encourage people to think about is like, if you want your money to work for you, instead of you working for the dollar, whatever this might mean for you, you've got to have a different shift, which is, of course, money comes to me easily. Of course, I can make money. Of course, I know how, you know, to handle, you know, conversation if somebody hasn't paid me on time. Call them, email them, text them, do something to reach out, create Mm -hmm. an action, but do it in a way that's not like, you owe me. Yeah. (laughs) Like, hey, I sent you the invoice. You told me you're going to get to it yesterday. Is Is there anything else going on? How about that? You know, asking. So what is it that sets you and the work you do apart from other money coaches? Why would they choose to work with you over someone else? Ah, that's a great question. Remember how I told you that I learned from a hybrid money coach and a dance instructor? Yep. And so I learned to embody a lot of what we call like money archetypes and uh, self-sabotaging behaviors, not just for myself, but also what I saw in my parents and my grandparents. And then I also did it for other people. So I learned completely different about the emotional aspect of money from very, from a very deep and profound place. But that's not the reason I'd say that you should hire me. That doesn't actually mean anything, you know, because if you're a very like in your head type of person, you're like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> but what I want to say is that it was I was given the gift to understand that it's important to be unique and actually seeing something from a unique perspective can make a more profound experience. That's why I'm also a mental fitness coach, but I call myself a guide as well as a certified money coach because I train people on an app 
in six to eight weeks and about 15 minutes a day to deal with all of the stuff that goes on in our heads. Because we have so many self-sabotaging thoughts and behaviors and beliefs and what I would call setups, meaning you get yourself into a conversation that's going to fail. You started it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you don't know how to get yourself out of it. You know, money boundaries, it wasn't maybe something you learned or you've learned a really hard way. Some people are, you know, so anxious, particularly, you know, what's gone on after this pandemic, trying to take care of themselves. It's not that they're really spending because, you know, they're trying to get somewhere. They're just trying to feel better. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to sit down and go, Brad, here's your budget. Here's what you're not going to spend money on this week. You're not going to buy any sport trading cards. You're not going to download any music. You are not going to buy some movies online. You're going to slow down on your subscriptions. And people are like, are you kidding me? This is my life now. Why would you take that from me? Versus approaching it like, hey, you have all this extra energy right now. And you're trying to find a way to, to make yourself feel better. What else is available to you besides maybe cutting back on some subscriptions and saying this week, you're not going to buy any, you know, online music or movies. What else could you be doing with your time? And then it's allowing somebody to go, I guess I could, you know, so depending on where you live, they might want to go for a walk or they might join a fitness group online, you know, depending on where you live. And if the weather's terrible, you probably yeah. want to do it online. It might mean that you're gonna actually find an activity that doesn't require your phone. What? What? And you know, an app that isn't on your phone that you're constantly on. <laughs> <laughs> it might mean that you're gonna have to make some phone calls or you're gonna have to maybe write some letters to people. It might mean that you're gonna not keep going down this path of, as I said earlier, uh, man, I was so hard on myself. I didn't have the empathy that I really deserved to give myself about starting off in a business, especially since I was actually escaping workplace harassment. Like I didn't, it didn't dawn on me that maybe I could be a little kinder to myself at the time. Yeah. What type of person or client is your ideal client? Like what things do you look for in a potential client before deciding to work with them? Oh, great question. So I work with what I call people who want to take that career leap. Because I know exactly what it's like to start with nothing, you know, yeah. <laughs> it often starts with zero when they start a business. But when you start with nothing to start a business, it's a very different experience versus I already had six clients and they just decided to hire me. Congratulations. I think that's super smart and I'm glad you did that. But not everybody gets it that way. And the other piece is that I love working with career leapers that they have what I would call the simple question that needs a profound answer. And the simple question is, if money was no object, what would I be doing? I help. You I love that question. History. I know, but I help you answer that because when you know what to do with your money in 90 days, then you don't have to sit around and keep asking that question going, I guess I would do this. I guess I would do that. Because when people tell you, well, the money's going to show up, that's a myth. It will only show up if you actually tell it exactly what to do. What do you think is one of the most common reasons for people getting stuck or having blocks around their relationship with money? We're trained that way. It, we yeah. inherited so all conditioning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you know, and it, it's really interesting. Even in marriages or long-term relationships, people will act out their parents' money patterns and behaviors even though they said they wouldn't with their spouse. <laughs> so it's, it's not uncommon. You'll marry a spender or a saver if you're the opposite. So spenders and savers do have marriages and they have to figure out how to have a marriage without like going insane. Yeah. I've had many relationship talks, even with accountants, 
you know, who were married to a, a spender because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're the saver. And they will say things like, you know, they're constantly wanting to spend money on this, this and that. And I realized either I had to give in on this conversation or I had to say, okay, but we can only do this X amount of times in a month because the, the cash flow is here. And I thought, isn't that great? You finally found a way to either just say, don't, don't get involved in it because it's just too crazy of a conversation for you to be like, I don't know, do we need to spend extra money? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> or those uncomfortable conversations. Yes. Those truth seeking conversations. Yeah. Or you go, listen, here's what the cash flow is like this month. If you go and buy this, we're going to have to cut back here. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like clarity. A person's like, oh, I, didn't I know get that. it now. Light bulb moment. I didn't moment. know that. <laughs> I had no idea the money looked that thin for you. What are your top three tips or takeaways you can provide for listeners that they can implement immediately to start shifting their mindset and relationship with and around money? Yeah. Okay. One of my favorite ones is I love this little mantra. It's called money comes to me easily. Because okay. a lot of times when people think about money, they're thinking about the lack of it. Yeah. Or I Very want. true. Very I true. But if you can think, oh, money comes to me easily and repeat that through, like just you know, throughout your day. And again, you're not asking for a dollar amount. You're not asking for, you know, I better get, you know, ex- extra six grand by noon or, you know, it's all in the toilet. I find that just it's an easier and lighter concept. Money comes to me easily. Works great. The next thing I encourage people to do is to maybe write down as much as what they think their their expenses are, not how much you make. I'm not asking for you to do a personalized spending plan, but with your expenses, is there anything that you can kind of look at and say, is this a financial need? Meaning I need to have this. So a need would be like, I need to pay my rent. I need to pay for gas. I need to have food. I, you know, need to have money to like get my Starbucks. If you're just a Starbucks person, you know, you need that. Okay. These are your needs. But then what are your wants? And your financial wants are like, well, I eat out five times a week, depending on where you live and what's going on in your life. That may be normal, but it may be something that you might have to adjust later. Or sooner, I don't know. But if you can get a, an idea of what's a financial need versus a financial want, you have done the work that many many parents try to impose upon their children. And you've done the work that many accountants and budget coaches try to impose upon you. You've already understood at an emotional level where your needs and wants are going. Yeah. And that you have the control over it. And then I'd say the very last tip that I like to give for people is start somewhere with where you really would like to go with your money. Because like I said, when I asked that magical question, if money was no object, where would, you know, what would your life be like? Start asking that question for yourself because it may not be that you want to go buy an island. It may be that you just want an easier financial life, which everyone deserves, quite honestly. No one needs to be stressing about the bills unless you absolutely need to deal with that. Or maybe it's just something that you just don't want to feel heavy about your money. What is it that excites or inspires you the most about helping people and guide people with their money mindset, with their mindset around money and helping people become more financially aware and comfortable? What I love is when people are like, it's not going to work out. And then they're like, oh, yeah, I got two job offers. And next thing I know, I've got an extra $500 in my bank account. 
and then I'm going to get paid another 3500 and I'm looking at a possible contract to do some additional work. And how did that happen? <laughs> I just love that stuff because like oftentimes I think to myself, I don't think they're getting it. Darn it, Brad. I don't think they're getting it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it happens. Yeah. Boom. They start using their winning money power, which is something we're all born with, um, to realize that, oh, I'm not as in so much deep uh, despair as I thought I was. I was just looking at my numbers and seeing the worst instead of seeing what they can do. On the flip side of that, Janine, Jeannie, sorry. That's okay. What would you say is one of the most challenging parts about the work that you do? I think the most challenging is somebody who says they know what they're going to do with their money and then they won't tell you anything. <laughs> so you're like, well, that's great. I'm glad you have a plan. What is it that you'd like to do? Well, I'll, I'll talk to you about that later. It's, it's all, it's, it's just, you know, I haven't really, you know, thought much about it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, you know, is there somebody that you admire that's a celebrity that's doing something? Or is there somebody in your family that you're like, oh, I'd like to do it like they do it? Is there, you know, and they're like, uh, you know, and that's all being guarded. And lots of people are guarded with their money. Yeah, you know, money, it's funny because a lot of people don't want to talk about money. It's taboo to talk about money. And I think that also ties into the conditioning that we received growing up as kids and that you don't talk about money. And why not? What's the big deal? It's yeah, just money. I hear from the small business owners all the time. Oh, I can't stand these people who keep telling people they can make a million dollars online. And I'm sort of, in a, I'm in the boat of, you know what? Certain businesses need to make a million dollars in order mm -hmm. to survive. Yeah. I don't know why we would get mad about that. So if you're selling real estate, you probably need to get to a million in sales eventually. If you're selling luxury cars, you betcha. Crypto, you know, depending on which coin and, you know, which part of the market you're in, you might need to do that if you're a crypto trader. Yeah. And you want to show people how easily it is to make, I guess, not real money, but, you know, money. <laughs> I, I just, I think we need to normalize the conversation around money because it's not. People think it's taboo to talk about it and we shouldn't be talking about this and why not let's just normalize the conversation and talk about it yeah as mentioned off the top of the interview you're also and you've mentioned a mental fitness guide and a retirement readiness expert now obviously there's a common thread between all three of these things and the work that you're doing within your business how do you implement all three into the work you do with your clients like what does that look like and do all of your clients that work with you want help on in all three areas or is it kind of like an a la carte type thing where you, when your clients come in to work with you it's a little more a la carte i would say you know it, because your money foundation will carry you through your life and if you don't know how to fix what i would say those potholes that you keep you know basically driving yourself right in i love that <laughs> i love that analogy that's awesome then then surprise you will have it through no matter whether you take a career leap or not whether you know you want to own a small business or not or whether you want to retire what i see is the driving force is that people have enormous amount of passion and energy and they don't know how to focus it so it doesn't matter whether you take the career leap or not, although that is what I'd say is the, the person I'd say, you probably need the most amount of money coaching because a lot of people do a career leap and it costs them tens of thousands of dollars in right. debt. And they didn't know that was going to happen. And then it, yeah. it took them another 10 years to get out of it. It's like, oh, yeah. Geez. 
And then I would say, you know, the small business owner, once you maybe get up and running, how do you get yourself to a place that you wish to what slow down or maybe sell the business or maybe forge ahead and create another wing of the business or make more money? How do you do that without killing yourself? Because I run in, you know, their health issues are like astronomical. I'm like, how long have you been in business? Oh, I've been in business for 30 years. I don't know anything else. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And then the retirement readiness piece is, you know, you know, your retirement is coming and you know, you don't have the money. Like, you know it, like you, you've looked at the numbers and you're like, there's, oh boy, I better be dead at, be dead at 61. If I want to retire at 60, like there's just no, you don't have it. And the truth is you can really get your retirement moving in a very different direction in five years. Like if you start again at zero, you can do amazing amount of retirement work. Perfect. That will keep your money right where you need it so that you can retire. But not everybody thinks that way. Oh, I got five years. I really got to knuckle down. Let me do this. But yeah. the big thing with retirement is people want to retire when they want to, not when they're forced. And yeah, most true. people are forced because either the job ended or yep. maybe the company ended and their health finally took a turn that they could no longer come to work full time. And I don't think people realize that that stuff can happen. Part of the, the shift for my mother that I thought was so interesting is that she was working as a contractor for a period of years because she was laid off because she worked in the dental business. She was a dental hygienist for a number of years, and then she got into dental insurance management. And then things shifted after 9-11 here in the U.S. that insurance benefits were like... They were just less. And so, you know, companies had to find ways to cut uh, the programs, you know, and, and cut their staff. And so my mother was in her mid fifties and she was laid off. She had resources and she still worked as a contractor and then things shifted again. And then she just wasn't really working. So she was in her late sixties and she still wanted to work, but she just couldn't find the work. And that is when her health issues started to shift. I think that retirement plays a part in that too, though, because you hear stories of people who have retired and they don't know what to do with themselves after and their health starts to fail. And it's sad that, you know, I think, again, this speaks to societal conditioning that, oh, you know, I'll take that trip when I retire. I'll do this when I retire. Why the fuck can't you do it now? Why wait till you retire? Why not do it now? You know, it's, and again, it, it, it's all based around societal conditioning and what we're taught growing up and the lessons we learn, you know, it's, there really needs to be a shift around thinking around all of that finance and retirement and don't wait, do the shit now while you can, because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't even know if you're going to live to retirement, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not promised tomorrow. No, no so not. do the shit you want to do now. Don't wait. Don't put it off till you retire. Yeah. And then don't act like all the money in your net worth is going to be there because yeah. you can be prey to all kinds of things. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, you say that you have a rare financial skill. You can read people's money auras. Uh-huh. Can you share a little bit and speak a little bit about how that works and what that yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. I've gotten in trouble for sharing that gift. <laughs> <laughs> well, you won't get in trouble for me, so please feel free to share. <laughs> so basically what it is, it's 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 not that I'm intentionally trying to look into people's psyche ever. It's never like that. But what happens is when people start talking about money, whether it's good or bad, all of a sudden the the aura reading skill will pop on. And basically, when you're lying to yourself, I can hear it loud and clear. So if you were going to tell me, Brad, like, oh, I've got all this money in my investments. I'm going to be fine. And then I would be like, no, no, you don't feel fine. I can tell. 
because I could hear it in your voice. Or I think I should take this job and I can literally hear it in your voice that you're not ready to take the job because the money's not. So it's an interesting, you know, like where did this come from? I don't know. All of a sudden one day I would hear things and I knew they weren't true and it was about money. So yeah. I would just, you know, I caught like reading your money aura and I, maybe I should do say something a little different. <laughs> I, I get in, I mean, I've had people scream at me when I tell them, I don't think that's really what you want to do. You know, I can tell that that's not, you know, there's still some emotional whatever. And then they just get so mad. But truth is the thing in the room that will stay standing when everything gets blown up. Absolutely. Jeannie, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? It's my hybridness or hybridness. Your, hi your hybridness. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's the hybridity. <laughs> that's the nice way of putting it. There we go. Yeah, it's because I can see the money and I can see the emotions that drive it. I can see how to fix it and repair it. And I know how to work with people who are what I would say very numbers based. Yeah. So people who are like, ah, oh, you know, I should get better at the money. And it's like, yeah, you can get better at the money if you choose to do that. Because those are different, if you will, defense mechanisms when it comes to dealing with your money. Right. So speaking of success, what does that word success mean to you? How do you define that word? Oh, it's joy. <laughs> love it. Plain and simple. I yeah, love it. I mean, uh, how much joy you have in your life can sometimes reflect the amount of money you have. But most importantly, how much joy you have in your life is how well you're going to live your life. Yeah. It's more important than the money. For sure it is. 100%. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? And what was your life like after learning it? Oh, there's been so many. Jeez. <laughs> uh, Oh, this is a good one. When I learned specifics about what happened with my mother's estate, what happened with her care, I realized a very simple truth. And that is I was put on this earth to learn how to forgive people who have caused harm to me. And I was going to have to find a way to forgive them. Even though they were family, I was going to have to find a way. And I did. Forgiveness is a very, very tough lesson to learn it's it's huge and i think it's hugely important in order to release yourself there's there's such a freeing feeling when you're able to forgive you know there's so much love and kindness in that yes. but again it's a very hard thing to do for a lot of people what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours Oh, gosh. They wanted to go out there and, and be a total pioneer in, in hybridity by combining mental fitness with money. What would I give advice to? I would encourage them to find the, the type of clients they think they can help the best because I work with quite a range of people, but sometimes a range doesn't really make you better at your job, doesn't make you happier at your job. It just makes you sort of a mouthpiece, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I would encourage them to find out like, so for instance, you know, I always refer to the person who wants to take a career. Let's say that's not their thing. They're like, yeah. oh, no, I would never want to work with somebody like that. That would drive me crazy. And then I'd be like, do you want to work with, you know, mid-career professionals that are single moms? You know, do you want to, you know, work with single young men that need to plan, I don't know, their money until they're age 40 and then they're going to plan a whole nother life after that. So it's not right. even about retirement. It's just like they're going to plan something totally different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? Biggest impact? Ooh, that's a hard one. <laughs> There's been so many. 
I feel like I, like everyone makes a, a really serious impact on me. My dad. Yeah. yeah. He's no longer here. He passed away too um, a number of years ago. But the biggest impact he really made, I think, in my life was to be calmer, to stay more focused on the details. Because I, I used to be very like, oh, I have an idea. Let's go. And I didn't think about like, oh, this might not land as well as I thought. This may not go as well as I thought. You know, like I yeah. had an idea. And I think my dad, because he was an engineer. You know, you refer to this as ops testing, you know, like you've got to do some operational testing before yeah. you go and launch. Yeah. I think that really made a really healthy impact in my life because then I was able to draw people towards me that had a closer philosophy, like not exactly perfect or the similar as my dad, but, oh yeah, maybe we should do a couple run-throughs before we decide to do this. Or maybe we need to talk to a few more people and see what they think. Or, you know, just learning to test the market, yeah. which is now what we call in marketing, testing the market. Now you have a better idea because you're testing it instead of, it's done, it's launched, let's go. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> For sure. And it may totally fail. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Jeannie, what does the word empowerment mean to you? Empowerment means to me you are exercising your birthright. I love that. Thank you. It was exercising my birthright when I, you know, turned to my female colleague and go, oh, I'm well aware. And I've already made up my mind to leave. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid-fire section here. So the next grouping of questions is just be two, three, four-word answer type thing, okay? I'll do my best. (laughs) I know you can do it. You got this. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? (laughs) Healthy. Well, that's good. We start out with a laugh. That's good. Yeah, healthy but hot. (laughs) (laughs) If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Money does not determine your value, even though we think money is everything about value. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Well, happiness, joy. How would you describe yourself in one word? Oh, loving. What never fails to make you laugh? Comedy. What is your favorite self-care practice? Yoga. And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) What is one lesson that your career has taught you that you think everybody should learn at some point in their lives? If you don't feel like you're being treated respectfully, then you're the only one who can change that. You're the only one who can be, that's where I can describe this. You can be only, you, this is the best way sometimes you're going to be a leader is to show people what respect is going to look like. Okay. Yeah. You, I mean, we are our only advocates, you know, we have to advocate for ourselves for sure. And I think that by not standing up and showing or telling people how you think you deserve to be treated, you're giving them permission to treat you any way that they feel. Exactly. You're showing them that you're, you're teaching them that what's something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the past year, how quickly I can fall down and get back up. Resilience. I love it. Yes. In the last two years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Doing the mental fitness, what we call PQ reps, which are positive intelligence reps. They are actual mini mental breaks. PQ reps. So what is a PQ rep? PQ rep is perhaps different mindfulness or embodied exercises or visualization exercises that you can learn to do to improve your mental fitness and improve your money. 
we refer to it as PQ muscles, positive intelligence muscles. Yeah. And the PQ muscles need to be developed because it's your muscle strength and depth is what's going to get you through a crisis okay. or get you through a pandemic or get you through when, oh, no, you owe money or, oh, no, I have all this money now. What am I going to do? Because a lot of people will be like, I should burn it down. You know, you're going to spend it everywhere and get yeah. themselves into debt, all this stuff. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? I think I would pick Hillary Clinton, Secretary Clinton, because I feel like, you know, in 2016, her loss was so profound mm -hmm. for so many women. And I have admired how she has reinvented herself again. By simply just being, you know, a private citizen. You know, she works so hard in government and as a lawyer. I'm just like, wow, who knew? If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Laugh more. And lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, like your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? When you harness your winning money power, you determine your value, not only for yourself, but also with your own money. You are no longer held captive by cliche financial consciousness, which is really just an illusion. Beautiful. Well Thanks. said. Thank you so much, Jeannie, for being here today. Thank you for your insights, your words of wisdom, your experience and just thank you for being a member of the Empowerography community. It was an absolute honor to be able to sit down and chat with you and learn more about your journey and the work that you do. Keep shining your bright, beautiful light out into the world and doing the work that you do. I appreciate you and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Brad. And I am so excited you created Empowerography because we all need it. Thank you very much. That means the world to me. I appreciate that. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Jeannie Doherty. She is a certified money coach, a mental fitness guide, and a retirement readiness expert. Thanks so much, Jeannie. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. I will. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.